What would you do if you won a million dollars? I've been thinking about this question for a little over a month now. I, I don't play the lottery, but I, I saw that the Super Lotto just recently got to like, I think it was like a billion dollars. I don't know, am I correct on that? It was like ridiculous, and I started thinking about all that money and what would I do with it? And I started thinking about this guy that plays for the Steelers. His name's Le'Veon Bell. And he turned down this year $14 million to play a game called football. And he said he was making a business decision because he wanted to make more millions in the future. And I started thinking to myself, what would I do with a million dollars? Do you know what you would do with a million dollars? Well, I know that there's only three things we can do with a million dollars. We, we can spend it. We can save it. Or we can give it away. Now, that's all we can do with the money we have, whether we have $10, $1,000, $100,000, or a million dollars. We can either spend it, save it, or give it away. This morning when we talk about give thanks, I want to do something that is a little bit different from my usual messages. I don't really want to speak to you this morning, I really want to speak to myself. By that I mean I want to share what God has been doing in my heart over the last month. And so as I, as I speak this morning, I hope that I can communicate, these are my thoughts, what God is saying to me, what God is speaking uh, to me through the word of God and I hope that as I speak this morning that you will be able to take one or two things with you as it relates to thanksgiving and giving and just having a heart of gratitude and generosity and just as that video showed I, I want us to wake up every morning with a sense of thanksgiving and gratitude for all that God has given us and I just sort of want to talk what about what God is teaching me and what God is saying to me over the last uh, few weeks, especially as I've been studying this theme of, of give thanks. In order to do that, I just want to step back so we can be all on the same page to last week. And, and this is what God was teaching me last week. And it, it's really quite simple um, truths, but he's teaching me that it is more fun to give and that it is a blessing to give. Now, as I, as I speak to myself, I, I start saying, you know, Mark, this is true for you as a Christ follower. This is true for you as a pastor and a leader at a church, but it goes beyond that. And I think I shared last week, it doesn't matter whether you know Christ or you're trying to figure out who Christ is or you don't even want to have anything to do with Jesus Christ. Maybe you were forced to be here today. But we all have opportunities to give. And, and what I keep reminding myself of, regardless of whether as a Christ follower or not, it's more fun to give. It's more fun to give. Yes, some of us have been blessed. And we have had somebody out of the blues surprise us. 
And, and as a pastor, I, I get that quite often. I, either maybe a pastor appreciation gift or a Christmas gift or sometimes out of the blue, I just get a gift, a random gift, and I'm like, oh, that is great. But I can tell you, it, it usually stops with, oh, that is great, and I'm really excited for the moment. But I can tell you, when I've had the opportunity to give, it is so much fun to give. It is so joyful to give. There's something inside my heart that swells up when I'm able to give somebody something that they didn't expect. And especially when it's not a family member or a friend, when it's actually a stranger, it's just so much fun to be able to give. And so what I keep telling myself, Mark... You need to be more generous, you need to be more thankful, but you got to be more giving because it's fun to give. But it is also a blessing to give. Now again, Jesus said this long ago. I don't know why I haven't caught on more. I'm a pastor, I should know better. But Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is one of the things that the disciples took with them into the early church. It was Jesus Christ himself who who came, who gave up everything so that he could come to this earth and die on the cross. And the Bible says that he gave everything away. And for our sakes, he became poor so that we could become rich. And he taught us it is more blessed to give than to receive. And it is a blessing to give. Now, last week, I wanted to try to make very clear, it's not about getting blessed like financially. You don't give so, oh, God, give us more money back. But the word that I used, and this is what I've been really wrestling with over the last few weeks, is, is I've been studying the Greek words associated to, to thanksgiving and, and praise and grace and gratitude and generosity and even blessing. They're all related and they have this idea of praise and thanksgiving and worship. That's why when Keith started to talk about the offering, he says that giving is an act of worship. It's a giving of thanksgiving. And when we have the opportunity to give, it is a blessing. The, the slide that I tried to relate this with is this one. And if you will notice, there is the grace and we shared last week, I talked about Dave Schrock says that he's doing better than he deserves. Grace means we get something we don't deserve. Ultimately, we get the forgiveness of sins. We don't deserve that. We get God's grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, his love. We get Jesus Christ. We get the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's why Paul, he uses that word blessing in Ephesians 1. And he says, thanks be to God or blessings to God because he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And, and I need to remind myself, God has given me so much and that's his grace. And everything I have comes from the Lord. The Lord owns everything. Everything belongs to him my spiritual life, my family life, my relational life, my health, everything is a gift from God and it's by God's grace. And that causes what I call either a flywheel or a spin wheel. Grace should lead to gratitude, a heart of thanksgiving, a heart that says thank you Jesus for your grace. Spiritually, relationally, financially, thank you Jesus. And that 
gratitude should spin over into generosity. To give and to give graciously and to be liberal in my giving and, and to be as generous as I can be in all situations. And it becomes a spin wheel. And I'm telling myself, Mark, the more you understand God's grace, the, the grateful you'll be, and then you'll be more generous, and, and it will just keep spinning around. And if you go back and you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, you will notice that when you are generous, God gives you more grace, and he supplies every need that he has for us. And so I'm telling myself, the more generous I am, the more giving I am, the more God will give me more grace. Today I want to look at a passage that has really been just sort of taking me to the woodshed and um, beating me up a little bit, but uh, it's a good, good chapter in Scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 6. So I'd encourage you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. After you get through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts, and Romans, and then you get to the T's, they're all together. So you got First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, and then you got Titus. First Timothy chapter 6. Now one of the things, I, uh, as I read this, I want you to understand, this is the Apostle Paul, the one who was destroying the church, trying, trying to kill off Christians. And he's got a young prodigy named Timothy, who's a pastor, and he's trying to encourage him in the ministry. And Timothy is in a very tough church. He's in the church in Ephesus. If you remember anything about the church in Ephesus, they were eager at first with their love for God, and suddenly their love for God had sort of just went out the back door. And there was a lot of sexual immorality there was a lot of greed and idolatry and a lot of confusion and mysticism. And so when he's writing in chapter 6, it's really quite interesting. Some of these verses that maybe we've heard before or heard a pastor beat us up on is actually talking to pastors. And that's why I want to look at it myself because there were some pastors who were actually getting involved in ministry because they thought it was a quick way to get rich. And they were, they, they were false teachers, but they thought they could make some money off of this new religion called Christianity. And so 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, sort of picks it up this way. He just got done condemning false teachers. Verse 6 says, he says, now there is great gain in godliness. It, it, there's great gain in being like Jesus Christ himself. Notice he says, with contentment, which is going to be a key word that I've been wrestling with. He says, so, for we brought nothing into this world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. It's pretty interesting. I underline that in my Bible. I encourage you to underline it as well. If we just have food and clothing, with these things we'll be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And again, I've always took that, yeah, He's getting on the, the church people, and he's telling the, the church in Ephesus, but he's actually talking to pastors here, so maybe he can breathe a little bit easier. 
Notice what he says in verse 10. He says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. Verse 11. He gets real specific now to pastors. He says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and steadfastness and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called, about which you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul's actually probably talking about the time he was baptized. And he went public with his faith. And said, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ. I want to follow Jesus Christ. And he's saying, that was a witness that you have taken hold of something more important than this physical life. You have taken a hold of eternal life. Now notice verse 17. He talks about how God is, is greater than all the other gods. And then verse 17, he says this. He says, as for the rich, in my Bible, I just sort of like, who's he talking to? And is he talking to me? And one of the things I've discovered in life is that rich is not found in the mirror. May need to think about that. But rich is never found in the mirror because we play this comparison game. He says, as for the rich in this present age... Charge them, literally challenge them, or motivate them, or exhort them as their pastor not to be haughty. Literally, it's, it's like, don't get a puffy head about yourself. Don't, don't think that, oh, you're great, and that you've made it, and look at me, I'm rich. I, I got more money than so-and-so. I got a nicer home. I got nicer cars. My portfolio is so much better. He's, a, he's like, it have nothing to do with a, a big head. His land says, nor to set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches. <laughs> Things happen. Stock markets crash. We lose our jobs. Sometimes we lose our savings. Sometimes there's a medical issue. Sometimes we have to face bankruptcy. Sometimes we don't get that check we expected to get. Sometimes people don't follow through. Sometimes the taxes are higher than what we calculated. He says, don't put your hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. God provides everything for us to enjoy. He says, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So her, here's the first thing that God has really been wrestling in my heart with, and I've been wrestling with God with, is I'm richer than I think. You know, I can do the comparison game, and I can say, well, I know this pastor, and he sold these books, or he's done this well, or he's at this church, and wow, you can't believe that, that benefit program that comes to, to him as a pastor in that denomination. And I start to realize, you know what, I'm richer than I really realize. 
You know, one of the things that I've had to do as I've been studying this is I've had to take it away from just finances. I've had to look at other categories. Spiritually, I'm rich. The Bible says that I am rich spiritually. I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. I am rich spiritually. In fact, one time I, I did a study, this has been a while, and I looked up rich in the Bible, in the, especially in the New Testament, and what it had to say about God. And, and so God is rich in love, God is rich in mercy, God is rich in patience, and on and on it goes. And I'm starting to realize, when God looks at rich, he looks at it from a spiritual perspective, just as well as a financial perspective. And, and, and I am very rich spiritually. And relationally, I have tried to live my life in such a way that I have still my relationships intact. You know, many of us sometimes approach experiences from the perspective we are experience rich, but we are relationally poor. And so I've tried to avoid that, and I want to try to make sure that I'm not just experience rich, but that I am relationally rich that I'm relationally rich. But one of the things that I've come to realize, and, and I, it's been a, probably a five, six year process, because I came to this website, and it's a very powerful website, and I would encourage everybody to go to it. And I know that I, I've spoken on finances before, and I've encouraged you to go here. It's called theglobalrichlist.com. And I even mentioned last week that if we take 48,000, which is the average income, I think, in Harrisonville, or 42,000. We're in a certain category. But to make it real simple, if you make over $33,000 a year as a family, you're in the 1% club. That, that means you're, you're in the 1% of the richest people in the world. And you're like, oh, Mark, that cannot be. It is true. And I have to tell myself, as I look at myself and I look at my family, we're rich. In fact, if I put myself in this verse 17, as for the rich, I would be tempted to say, oh, talking about so-and-so. Not talking about me. But you know, if Timothy was looking at my life with inflation and everything to it, he'd be saying, you're not even rich. You are beyond rich compared to everybody that has ever lived in this world. And I have to keep telling myself that I am richer than I think. And this is a problem. This is the first problem. This is the first hurdle that I need to overcome if I want to be more thankful, be more generous, to be more giving. I need to realize that I am richer than I think. This has caused me to understand a principle that I've taught on before, but I'm trying to live out. I need to give more and spend less. I need... If I want to live like a rich person, I need to give more and spend less. And sometimes as I think about this, I think I do a pretty good job at this. And Michelle and I, we're known, our kids laugh at us, you know, clothes are not important to me. And some of you maybe have realized this. But I could care less what I'm wearing. 
Now, I have a brother who is Mr. GQ. I actually have a son. He's going to be here next Sunday, hopefully, um, coming in from Phoenix. But he's also Mr. GQ. But our, our, our family sort of laughs at us because we'll have stuff that goes back a few years in our closet. Why? Why? Because we, we don't go out and buy the newest and freshest brands. But I've been saying to myself, Mark, okay, you pride yourself on some of those things, but are you still spending more than you should? Now, if I look at this sometimes, and I'm just being honest where I'm at, when you start having kids, and especially adult kids, this changes a little bit, doesn't it? It it changes. You find yourself being more gracious, so to speak, to to spend more on your kids. And they're living in a generation where the expectation is there. I need the iPhone 11. You say, Mark, it hasn't come out yet. Okay, iPhone 10, but you already need it, right? And and the next, and the next, the next Xbox or Y-box or Z-box or whatever. We need to keep advancing and advancing. We have to have the newest cars with the newest technologies. And it's just so tempting to want to have that. And I need to tell myself, no, Mark, you need to work on giving more and spending less. You see, this is how God is going to make me more content and more generous and more gracious is if I focus on the fact that I need to give more and spend less. Which has led me to these two priorities that I think are so important, and I want to start living by this. You see, God wants me to be generous, and God wants me to be rich. Let me, under- <laughs> Let me explain this again so I can just be very clear. God wants me to be generous. I, I look at this um, Operation Shoebox, which, by the way, if you're like me, I-, I even promote this and advertise this and say, hey, we need to get this out And then I forgot to bring my box, okay? Be sure to bring in your box. But as I look at this, I need to say to myself, God not only wants me to do one box, but he wants me to do two boxes. Or he wants me to do three boxes. God wants me to be generous in my spirit. The other day, um, I had an opportunity to go to the wonderful restaurant of Steak and Shake. Has anybody ever been there? Okay. And uh, I'm just joking. It, it, it's a good place, okay? And so I was in there, and I, I know what I had spoken on last week, that I need to be generous, and I talked about even tips. We need to be generous. And so I, I'm eating some delicious Wisconsin butter cheese heart-clogging artery steak burger, okay? And uh, I think it's only like $3.99 or $2.99. I mean, if you want to get a cheap burger and clog your artery go there and so and I I had this it was sort of later at night and um, which is also bad on your health but I'm there and this young girl I, I don't know if she was 16 17 18 I don't know how old you need to be but she was young she just looked exhausted in fact I sort of noticed in the place there's a lot of exhausted people in there and um so we got done paid for the bill and I was like, I want to be generous. I want to give a generous tip. And here I didn't even apply my message last week. I looked at my wallet. All I had was a $5 bill. 
And so I was like, oh, I'm just going to give her this $5 bill. Now, again, on not even a $5 meal, giving a $5 tip is, is, is pretty good. But I, I was saying to myself, Mark, this is why you need, and we're going to talk about it a little bit, I need a God pocket. I need to have more cash available. Not so I can spend it on myself, but so that I can be ready and prepared to give and to be generous. Because, again, it's more fun to be generous. It's a blessing to be able to be generous. And God's working on me on this. And God wants me to be rich. Now, he doesn't want me to be financially rich, as we saw in the text. He wants me to be rich in good works, in good deeds. He wants me to be rich in my life. He wants me to be spiritually rich. In fact, if you still have 1 Timothy 6 open, it's something interesting that Paul is doing. He says in verse 17, as for the rich. Then in verse 17, he still talks about the uncertainty of riches. And then he talks about God who richly provides. And then he says in verse 18, we are to be rich in doing good works. Four times he takes this word rich and he's trying to teach me something. That it's not about the financial richness it's about the spiritual richness. It's about the richness of life. And God wants me to experience that richness. Why? Because it's not just this life, but there is a future life. You see, whether you're a believer or not a believer, and if you're just like, oh, I don't know what this guy's talking about. He's a crazy dude, and he's, he's just trying to use manipulation tactics to give me to give more. You need to understand something. That is true if this is all the life there is. But if there is a future life, as Paul says, and there is a foundation we're laying up for the true life, the life that is yet to come, then these two principles need to be my principles. I need to be generous and I need to be rich. And so... The way it works for me is that I'm trying to understand that there is a difference between prioritized giving and pocket giving. Prioritized giving means for, for, for my life and even before I got into the ministry, um, 18 years old, when I started going to my first Bible church, I started giving. And again, I made money working at Taylor University. I made money over the summers, mowing lawns and all those sort of things. And when, I, when I, Michelle and I first got married, um, I don't know how much I made, but it was very low. It was minimum wage. And it started tithing because that was a priority. I wanted to be a person that understood that I give my first fruits back to the Lord, that I... That I'm gracious to God because he has been gracious to me. And it all belongs to the Lord anyways. And so there is this prioritized giving. And, and I feel like Michelle and I and have just done a great job of prioritized giving. But I'm missing out on this thing that I call pocket giving. Pocket giving is having money, actual money, and again... I know that the new generation, you can give money off your phone and all that stuff. I don't even have the foggiest idea how any of that works. Before an old person like me, I still need to have cash in my wallet 
so that when I come in contact with somebody, I can be gracious. Now again, for some of us, that, that may just be $50. For others of us, that may be $100. For some of us, it may be $200. For some of us, it may be $500. And what it means is to have this money in my pocket so that I can be ready and prepared. It's very interesting. As I was studying 2 Corinthians 9 in this passage, it constantly says, be ready, be prepared, be intentional. Have your, your thoughts already centered on what you're going to give in advance. And I haven't been doing that. I haven't had this pocket giving, this unstructured giving. It sort of looks like this, if I can continue with my uh, spin wheels here that I'm doing. Again, there, there, there's a church, and, and I'm a big, I'm not saying you don't, don't give to the church here, you just give to strangers, but I, I'm a big proponent, obviously as a pastor, but as a believer, I do believe that God wants us to give our first fruits, he wants us to give a tenth back to the church. But then a lot of us, we give to family and friends. In fact, uh, Michelle and I, we were talking about one of our nieces needing money, and we sort of talked about well, maybe this Christmas or maybe over the next year, we can help her out and give her some money. That's another aspect of giving. What I'm talking about now is being prepared to give money to strangers. You say, Mark, that is about the craziest, silliest, stupidest thing I've ever heard of. I don't know. As I read my Bible, maybe you read it in Matthew 25. If you give a cup of water to somebody, when you visit somebody, guess what Jesus says? He says, you're doing it unto me. Over and over again, the Bible is clear that we need to be on the lookout for who we can be generous with, who we can be gracious with, who, who we can give to and help out. Now again, we need to be wise and discerning. I'm not just saying open up your wallet and just say, hey, here I am. But I believe that there is joy in being able to be a pocket giver and to be able to give to strangers. Here's the next thing that uh, God is teaching me. And again, this is sort of kicking me a little bit. The more I have, the more I want. Anybody ever find this to be true? No, the more I have in my checking account, the more I want in there, the more I have in my savings account, the more I want in there, the more I have in my 401k, I, I want in there. You know, the more nice things I have, I'm like, oh yeah, I sort of get used to that, and then the more I have, the more I want. But as I've been reading these passages, that is a problem. And the way that I have learned that I need to solve that problem is through this word we talked about, contentment. I don't know if you can see that word up there or not. In the yellow, but contentment. And, and it's sort of like two sides of a coin. Uh, on one side, it, it, the more grateful you are, the more thankful you are, the more content you will be. And then if you had another coin, the more content you are, the more generous you're going to be. And so this whole problem I have, thinking that I'm richer than I am, and then thinking the more I have, the more I want, it, it's solved through contentment. It's very interesting. I believe that, that Paul is saying in this First Timothy passage, he also says it also in Philippians 4, he says, I've learned the secret of being content 
And how do you learn the secret of being content by not worrying about your stuff? And that's the thing I've noticed. The more I have, it seems like the more I worry about the things I have and what to do with the things I have. I don't know why I want more. It's just more hassle, more headache, more gray hair. It's not worth it. I need to be content. And where I've just been struggling, and I don't know if you're going to struggle with this or not, in verse 8 he says, if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. End of discussion. I'm like, oh, come on. That's because he never heard of a retirement. Now, that's because he never heard of these new cars that are coming out. I mean, it's just like, really? Yeah, really. Because he says that we brought nothing into this world. We're going to take nothing out. And so I'm challenging myself. I need to be more grateful, which will lead to more contentment. More contentment will lead to more generosity. So here's where I've landed. My financial issues are my really spiritual issues. It's all a matter of my heart. Anytime I, I, I struggle with giving or generosity or financial debt or having to borrow or whatever I think or being worried about my finances, it's a spiritual issue. Paul's saying our hope needs to be in God who provides everything for us to richly to enjoy, to enjoy this life. My last spin wheel here. Notice the spin wheel. It's like, this is my heart. And this is where God wants my heart to be. He wants me to have a thankful heart, which means I'll have a generous heart, which means I'll have a joyful heart. And the more thankful my heart is, the more generous my heart will be, and the more joyful my heart will be. Last week when I mentioned that a lot of us struggle with sadness and depression and Sometimes, I, I don't know, but I'm wondering if sometimes when I'm sad or when I'm blue or when I'm depressed or when I'm thinking pity party for Mark, is it because I don't have this thankfulness and this generosity and this joy happening in my heart? And again, it, it, it's a cycle. And it's a cycle that comes back to the principle. God wants me to be generous and God wants me to be rich. And if, when I'm rich in these good works and this generosity, guess what? It produces more joy in my life. Here's the application. And I, I want to give an application now. Move away from me a little bit, even though I'm going to be one to have to apply this. And I want to talk to us just as people, human beings that I hope have compassion for others. These shoe boxes, the goal this year is to give 12 million of these away. 12 million shoe boxes. Do we realize that there are 40 million slaves in this world? 40 million people in human trafficking. Most of it is sex trafficking of humans. And, and again, my heart, I, I want to cry when I see these boxes, knowing what impact they're going to have. But then I have to say something in my heart. Well, what about these? What about this sex trafficking? What, what are we going to do about this? 
And in your program, hopefully everybody got a program today or a bulletin, um, I list some of these organizations. I'll show them at the end that we can be given to. But, it, you know, it just breaks my heart. And I have to be honest, sometimes I've struggled and I'm like, I love being a pastor and I love teaching and I love everything that's going on, but I'm like, I think I want to get out of the pastorate and I want to go help here. 40 million slaves in our world today? That breaks my heart. There, there needs to be some, something in my heart that says, oh, we got to do good. This one's mind-boggling. Again, 12 million shoeboxes, 844 million. And if you go to some of their websites, that, that keeps fluctuating up and down. Just like if you go to that global rich list, it keeps fluctuating up and down because this is a daily thing. But they lack clean water. 844 million people lack clean water. What is the church going to do about it? What are we going to do about the sex slaves? What are we going to do? And... A few weeks ago, uh, the school went through the ACSI training, and I think this applies to what we need to be thinking about as a church. And the training they received is this, that good works produces goodwill, which opens the door for good news. I think that, isn't that what Paul's saying? Uh, to do good works, literally the good for those works are works that are righteous, that are pure, that are holy, that are right, that are, that are morally satisfying. We need to do those good works, which will produce goodwill. It's interesting when he says to be rich in good works, he switches from the morally good to attractive and beautiful good. We need to do attractive and beautiful things for people. And when we do attractive and beautiful things for people, guess what? That produces goodwill, which opens up the door for the good news, the gospel, that Jesus Christ gave up himself so that we could become rich. That Jesus Christ was rich in love and he went to the cross and he died on the cross for our sins so that we might have life, might have eternal life, might have, as Paul says, true life or real life. And that's the life that we need to be going to. And so when we as a church do good works, it produces goodwill in our community, which produces opportunities for the good news. So in your program, if you've noticed, I've listed, I don't know, five or six places, and you can put your own there. And sometimes it's hard. You know, we, we, we've done Easter offerings. We do Christmas offerings. I don't know if we do Thanksgiving offerings here, but I've done Thanksgiving offerings before. And you're always trying to think, and it's probably the way it should happen, is that we as a church collectively go after all these ministries and we give one lump sum. As I was going through this, I'm just like, I just think it needs to start with us as individuals. And, and we need to just find something to be generous with. Hope Haven. You know, those are for those ladies that are, that are abused. And Shiloh Center for ladies that find themselves pregnant, not knowing what to do. And Harvest Home is for those ladies that actually have gotten out of sex trafficking. And it's over here in Missouri. I, I don't know the exact location, but it's not too far away from here. Then there's the Operation Underground. And this is a whole ministry dedicated to rescuing these, these sex slaves. 
And what we need to do is we need to find something that we can give to. Some of us, this Thanksgiving and Christmas, we need to, to find a Compassion International child's support. Whatever it is, we need to think of ways we can give more and spend less. Because God wants us to do goodwill. He wants us to do good works. And, and I would encourage you, you know, since we're not like taking up a, a Thanksgiving offering, I just would encourage you, let somebody know. Let somebody in your small group know. Maybe let us at church know. You know what? I decided to support Hope Haven. Or I decided to support Harvest Home. Or I gave a gift. You don't even need to tell the, the amount. But just that my eyes have been open and I want to be generous and I want to give. We can't miss the why. Why do this? Verse 19. Storing up treasure. Again, he, he's playing on words, being rich. He's saying storing up treasure. It sounds like what Jesus said. Where, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. What's he talking about? He's talking about our future kingdom. Which is truly life. This life we live and this life we're stressed out about, this life we think that we have to have everything in, this isn't the life, there is another life. And I do have to say, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord and don't understand what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to do that today. Because the, the future life isn't going to be what you think it is. But for those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ, myself included, we need to understand that there's a future life. And we need to be storing up treasure for that future life. Because I believe God blesses those who give. And God gives more grace to those who are generous.